Well, again, a warm welcome to each of you and a special welcome to our guests here at Kingswood where we seek to love God, serve others, and build sacred community as followers of Jesus. So a, a warm, warm welcome to each of you. Today we uh, continue our sermon series, Jonah, You Can Run But You Cannot Hide. And uh, last week we spent some time getting to know Jonah and hear why we're in the predicament we're in today in the belly of a fish. So just a little recap of who Jonah is. Uh, Jonah, also mentioned in the Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 14, is a minor prophet, probably in the 8th century. Uh, he was one of 12 minor prophets, Amos, Micah, Obadiah, but Jonah is one of those. Uh, and all of those books line up in the Old Testament. Jonah, uh, is his name means, wow, I feel very disappointed. <laughs> Jonah's name means dove. Let's say that together, dove. I'm going to call each of you this week and make sure you remember that, right? So Jonah's name means dove. And his father's name, according to the scripture, is Amittai. So he's the dove of righteousness or the death of truth, right? Because <clears throat> that's what Amittai means. But you know how Hebrew has multiple levels and word plays like we've talked about before. So Yonah means dove, but Ona means destroyer. So it's interesting that the writer plays a little bit with the name that he could be the dove of truth and righteousness or he could be the destroyer of truth and righteousness. And when we meet Jonah, we get it, right? He's like most of us, he's a mixed bag, okay? So Jonah, dove, son of righteousness and truth, uh, God calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, okay? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, Assyria, not Syria, which is currently in present-day Iraq, okay? The Assyrians were a major empire before the Babylonians, and the Assyrians were ruthless. So when they conquered you, they uh, shipped people off, they destroyed your cities. If they didn't like you, they'd sow salt in your gardens so they wouldn't grow. I mean, they're just not nice people, right? And uh, the Assyrians uh, were, were pretty ruthless, and the capital city was Nineveh, and it was one of the largest cities in the ancient world. Now what's interesting is Assyria had conquered the northern kingdom, you remember, after King Solomon, remember there was Saul, then David, then Solomon. But after Solomon died, the kingdom split in half, the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. The northern kingdom was taken over by the Assyrians, and they almost took Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So these are not just your average wonderful neighbors, amen, right? And so you can get why when Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, it's not something he really wants to do, right? These people are mean, right? And, um, and, and, and not only is he called to go there, he's called to go there and proclaim repentance and say to the uh, Ninevites, the Assyrians, your life is a mess, you need to turn around and go in a different direction. Now that sounds pretty hard to me. I mean, think about somebody that you have a hard time with or somebody who's challenging to you, and if I said you need to go to them and, and tell them to change their life, would you do it, right? Or think about an enemy or a, a difficult boss or a difficult neighbor or whatever. If God said you've got to go and have a conversation with them and not only just, hey, how's the day going, but your life's a mess, turn around, that's a hard conversation, right? 
The, the Hebrew word is teshuva, which means to go from one direction to the next. We translate it repentance. So Jonah's called by God to go to Nineveh, and then we know that Jonah does the opposite. Instead of going toward present-day Iraq, uh, he goes to the port city of Joppa, which is a suburb of Tel Aviv now. It's a port city, and he books passage on a cargo ship, possibly taking olive oil to Tar Tarshish, which is in present-day Spain, right? So that's a pretty opposite end of the world, right? You're supposed to go to Nineveh. Well, God, I'm going to go to Tarshish, right? Things are easier in Spain, right? And <clears throat> he goes to the port city. Uh, he books this ticket, and I said this last week, scholars say it couldn't have been an inexpensive ticket. It was not like he had booked Carnival, you know, 20 weeks out, right? It, he really was last minute, and you'll remember he goes down into the hold, the ship leaves, and Jonah thinks, I don't have to deal with the Ninevites. I don't have to do what God wants me to do. I can go in the direction I want, and some of us have been there, amen? I know you're not going to admit it, but amen, right? Okay, here we go. So, the ship takes off, and God says, okay, Jonah, this isn't going to go well for you. And he hurls, that's the word, not, you know, makes this happen. He hurls a storm on the water. Remember, it was terribly chaotic. The ship is being tossed to and fro. In fact, Scripture tells us the ship was about to break apart, right? And uh, uh, it's, it's a mess. It's terrible. And the sailors from all around the world who worshipped all kinds of different gods and were from all kinds of different places begin to throw the cargo overboard as a way to lighten the ship that it might survive, but it doesn't. So they begin to pray to their gods. And eventually we learn that Jonah is down in the hull of the ship fast asleep. In fact, the Hebrew is he's in a deep, deep sleep. In fact, some rabbinical comment is he is snoring loudly. You know what I'm saying? I mean, louder than you can imagine, right? So he's in a deep, deep sleep. The captain comes down and says, how can you be down here? What are you doing? How can, pray to your God. Maybe we would be delivered. And he kind of calls Jonah uh, to accountability. Well, it's frantic. They're trying to save the ship. The storm gets worse. There's more wind to be hurled. It's a mess, right? It's a real mess. They're going to die. And so they begin to cast lots, you know, draw straws. Anybody ever done that? And uh, to find out who had caused this calamity and who got the short straw? Jonah, right? And so they say, they see that and they go, who are you? Where are you from? What's your name? Uh, what's your religion? What's, what's the story? And he says, well, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the God who created the land and the sea. So they're terrified. And then they say, what have you done? Because they knew he was running from God's call. So he says, they say, what should we do? How can we make this right? How do we end this storm? What can we do for your God? And he said, well, you can throw me overboard, right? And if you throw me overboard, the sea will calm down. Now, what I love about Jonah, we get a little glimpse into who he is. He knows that if he's thrown overboard, it'll all be okay, right? But he's not willing to throw himself over. <laughs> I just think that, and you're going to learn a lot more about Jonah because he's kind of self-absorbed, frankly. Here we go, right? So he says, well, you can throw me overboard. That would probably do it. And then it's interesting, in the scripture in chapter 1, the sailors begin to pray to God, not their gods, but to Big L, the Lord, right? And they began to 
to pray to God and how, you know, what can we do? What can we do? And they, and they even try to row to the shore, you know, and it's a big ship. This isn't a rowboat, you know, on the Buffalo Creek. You know what I'm saying? This is big stuff. That's how, what kind of folks they are. Now, these are the outsiders. These are the folks who are not part of the inside group, and yet they're being faithful to try to do anything so they don't have to throw him overboard. But finally, it becomes clear they're all going to die if they don't do something. And so they pray to God, big L, Lord, right? And they say, God, here's the deal. Absolve us from the guilt of innocent blood. We feel terrible about this. We don't really want to do it, but we don't see any other choice and they pitch him overboard. And as soon as he hits the water, the storm stops. Total calm, just like glass. Now, Jonah's sinking while they decide to pray to God, big L, Lord, and they make covenant with God, they offer sacrifices to God, they pray to God, they actually have a conversion. They actually, teshuva, they go from one direction to the next. It's interesting. Here's the people you would expect to be less faithful, and they're the most faithful. And that's where we find ourselves. And Jonah's struggling in the water. And then according to Scripture in chapter 17, the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I just want you to think about that. Have you ever felt trapped physically? Maybe you could think about being trapped emotionally or spiritually, but I, I want you to think about being trapped uh, or in a space where you thought you weren't going to make it. We were at Bible study this Wednesday. Almost everybody talked about an MRI. Anybody ever done one of those? I mean, they're nightmares, you know. They make it sound like it's going to be a breeze. We're just going to slip you in for a few minutes, and you can wear this blindfold, and you can choose your music. But once you're in and it's right here, I go bananas, right? I mean, they have to give me a sedative to get in that thing, right? You do feel trapped. Sorry if you're having an MRI this week. Amen, right? <laughs> uh, secondly, uh, have you ever been to St. Louis and been in the arch? Oh, my word. Who invented that, right? You, you, you get in that thing. And it doesn't even go straight up. It goes clink, a clink, clink, a clink, clink. And it's pretty tight quarters, right? I went a couple of summers ago before the pandemic, got on. I'd been there before, and I was dreading. I'm already sweating before we ever get out of the car because I know what we got to do. I don't even like the swaying and, you know, the trap door. Yeah, that's how they change the light on the arch. Don't need to know that, right? But we get in, and we make it up just fine. But then it's time to go down. And we're kind of watching, trying to get in. So it's the three of us. We get on. I think I've made it. And then a family of four jumps on right before it closes, right? And I'm like, could you get these kids out of here, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was so claustrophobic. I couldn't wait to get out of there, right? And I'm sure you have your own stories of feeling trapped somewhere or feeling like you can't move or you can't make it. Like when I was in college, our campus ministry uh, went on a water skiing trip. How many of you water ski or have water ski? Many of you? Yeah, right. Well, I despise it. Amen, right? Okay. Uh, I, I, so we went water skiing. I'd rather be on the pontoon boat, not the speedboat, right? And uh, we're on the, the speedboat, and I'm along for the ride. I'm not going to water ski. And all my friends say, are you going to water ski? And I say, I don't want to water ski. And you know how the peer pressure goes, so I decide I'll water ski. And I get out, and I go up, and I go down. I go up, and I go down. It's a nightmare. I drank half the lake. You know how it works, right? Uh, but anyway, the last time I went up and we were near the shore, 
and I went down. Now, I want to tell you something about lakes in the state of Texas. Are you ready? It's going to be hard to believe. There's only one natural lake in the whole state, and that's on the, the east side of the state. Every other lake in the state is human-made by a dam, usually by the Army Corps of Engineers. So you can imagine these little creeks and these little rivers fill up lakes over mesquite trees, over canyons, over cities and towns. In fact, in the drought several years ago, little towns began to appear as these lakes receded, right? So here I am in Possum Kingdom Lake, and I get near the shore, I go down, and all of a sudden, I'm caught up in weeds, right? Anybody ever been there? It's a scary feeling. And the more you fight, the more the weeds go, yeah, let's take this one down, right? You know what I'm saying? That's what it felt like. Luckily, my campus pastor jumped in and said, you need to calm down, and I can help you get out of this. But I will never forget that feeling of being turbulent in the water, disoriented, and having these weeds wrapped around my feet. So, if you're wanting a sense of what Jonah's feeling, maybe any of those images or your own images come to mind of being trapped. So, verse 17 of chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. The Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, Jesus will refer to this, right? Get three days, three nights. Remember the tomb? Anybody with me? Hello, right? But rabbinical or Jewish scholars are often saying, why three days and three nights? It will come to play later in the story. We'll hear it again. But more importantly, they think maybe it took that long for the fish to get from where they were to the shore. Uh, maybe that's how long you have till you start digesting. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, isn't that pleasant, right? Um, so, so whatever it is, after three days and three nights, something will happen. But here we are. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I don't know about you. When I was in the arch, when I was in the lake, when I was in the MRI, I prayed to the Lord. Amen, right? And so Jonah prays. And he says, and this is almost like a psalm. You know the psalms? the songs of temple worship, this is, this is very much like a psalm. It's interesting, in the whole book of Jonah, one, three, and four are story, but two is a prayer and a psalm. So, he says, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So you can already see what's going to happen in this psalm. We're going to go from first person to second person, uh, back and forth, and then we realize that Jonah feels trapped and he is, and he decides to pray to the Lord for deliverance from the belly of Sheol. Okay, let's say that word together. Sheol, all right? Now, Sheol is a Hebrew word which means the place of the dead, right? So Sheol uh, means place of the dead, and, and, and Judaism considers Sheol the place of the dead. It's not a bad place. It's not a good place. It's just the place of the dead. And it's often, often... Uh, associated with watery depths, uh, deep, deep down, and often has bars on it so you can't escape, right? Now, what's fascinating, this may not be fascinating to you, but um, in all the cultures around Israel, Egypt, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Phoenicians, 
they all had big descriptions about the places of the dead. For those of us who are in Egypt, that's what the pyramids are about, is preparing for the place of the dead. But for Hebrews or for, or for Israelites, it's a very simple place and a simple word. But he's comparing the belly of the fish to the place of the dead. And it's from there that he's praying. And he says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. He feels overwhelmed by this watery prison that he's in. And if you think about it, I didn't really think about it. I always think the fish came immediately, right? But it seems like he did some flailing around, and then the fish came. And maybe the fish was the very reason Jonah was delivered and lived, right? Continuing in verse 4. Then he said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? Remember, the temple in Jerusalem is where uh, Israelites believed that God resided. So he's longing for this sacred place where he can connect with God. The waters closed in over me. The deep surround me. This is where I relate. Weeds wrapped around my head, right? And at the root of the mountains. Israelites believed the very roots of the mountains were in the depth of the sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So there's this deep sense of no way out. And I would say that for most of us in the room, somewhere in our life, somewhere in our journey, physically, spiritually, emotionally, we have done something or felt something that has trapped us beyond belief. And then he goes on. Yet you, God, have brought my life from the pit, capital P. This Hebrew word also is related to Sheol and also talks about the place of chaos or the place of the dead. O Lord, my God, as my life was ebbing away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So there's this sense of offering a prayer for deliverance, prayer for a new start, a new beginning. And you begin to, I don't know about you, I begin to go, well, maybe Jonah's going to get it. Maybe this fish thing helped him to get on the right track. And, and, and maybe he's really going to start going in the right direction. But then let's turn to verse 8. And then he says, those who worship vain idols forsake your true loyalty. So here we are, Jonah. Jonah gets a little prideful here, right? He says, well, at least I'm not like those people who worship idols, right? Because they are, are they are a void of God's hesed or unconditional love, right? So he gets a little self-righteous here. I mean, this is a guy who's decaying in the belly of a fish, probably needs a reality check, amen, right? Uh, but he offers sacrifices to God, he offers a voice of thanksgiving, and he says, what I have vowed I will pay. So we think maybe Jonah is now on the right track. We'll learn in chapter 3, not so much. And then we hear these words from him, deliverance belongs to the Lord. Let's say that together, deliverance belongs to the Lord. That Hebrew word of deliverance is the word Yeshua. Yeshua means God saves. Yeshua is the name Joshua, which means God saves. And Yeshua in Greek is Jesus, God saves. Do you see that? So he says God, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Not to me, not to the fish, not to my agenda, not to my pride, not to my best efforts, but deliverance, salvation, belongs to the Lord. And it's a good reminder to Jonah and a good reminder to us that our salvation is in God. And then the Lord spoke to the fish, 
and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. What I like, I liked Wanda's translation better. It vomited him out on the dry land. Now, I know you didn't expect to hear that today, but too bad, right? Because here's the deal. The Hebrew word for swallowed and the Hebrew word for vomited, those are hard words. And they, they indicate not a peaceful little, oh, I'm out of the whale, right, kind of thing. It's violent vomiting, right? I know, what a great day and what a wonderful thing to talk about before lunch, right? But, but the point is, in fact, some rabbinical and Hebrew scholars say that Jonah was so caught up in himself and Jonah had his own junk that the whale had severe indigestion and couldn't wait to throw him up, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's funny that, uh, in fact, there's a great poet who says, uh, the whale was just couldn't wait to get to the land to throw this up because he had a stomachache, right? So it says a little bit about Jonah, right? Somewhat faithful, somewhat not, seems to get it, doesn't, you know, all of that thing. And in the next chapter, if you come next week, he'll actually travel to Nineveh. But let's, let's pay attention to what we've learned from this song. The song of Jonah is powerful because it, Jonah was reminded in his deepest chaos and uncertainty that God was his salvation. Amen? And Jonah knew that he could do nothing else. He couldn't claw his way out. He couldn't poke his way out. He couldn't go through the blowhole way out, right? You know what I'm saying? He had to pray. There was nothing else he could do. And though his prayer was a mixed bag of confession and pride and solution and non-solution, Jonah, remember, represents Israel. Jonah represents us. It's a real true statement about who we are. We, I think we long to be on the right track, but anytime it's not our version of the track, then we begin to make excuses for being on the right track. Teshuva, going in one direction, and God says, no, James, you're going to go here. You're going to go to Nineveh. You're going to go to Freeport. You're going to go wherever it is that I'm calling you and you can fight it all you want and you can make all the excuses you'd like and you can run all the way to Tarshish if you want but I will continue to be persistent. But here's the other beautiful truth. God never gives up on Jonah, right? Even when Jonah is in the belly of a fish, even when Jonah's flailing in the ocean, even when Jonah's in the hull of a ship and later on, even when Jonah continues to defy God's call, God continues to seek him out to continue to love him. In fact, that, that whole concept of hesed, God's unconditional love, which is mentioned in that idle statement, is true for Jonah, it's true for us. God continues to seek us out even when we rebel against God's call, right? It doesn't mean we won't be held accountable. It doesn't mean we won't have to change our ways. It doesn't mean we won't have to teshuva and go in a new direction. But it means that the God who created us is always seeking to save us. Amen? Amen. So this week in Bible study, those of you who were there, one of us in the Bible study uh, told a story. And I think it's a powerful story. He was getting his pilot's license. And uh, he had been through flying with others, learning the tricks, all the things you do. Uh, I have no desire to be a pilot. Maybe some of you are. Uh, but um, he wanted to be a pilot. And so he took all these lessons. And finally, he got to the point where he could fly by himself. And one day, uh, he was scheduled to do a flight as part of his hours. 
and he went to Pewaukee, or what is now Chicago Executive Airport, uh, in Prospect Heights, Wheeling. And he got in the plane, and it was one of those days like this week where visibility was extremely low, right? You remember that this week? I know it's been a beautiful week for you. Amen, right? So all the fog, he couldn't see. He debated where they should go, but the instructor said, this will be good learning for you. And he said this to him. Remember, trust the instruments, don't trust yourself. So he said he went up and he started flying. And he said he was convicted that he was going north, but the instruments said he was going west. And he kept saying to himself, why do these instruments saying I'm going west when I'm supposed to go north, loop around, and come back and land? But like many of us, he trusted himself, so he kept flying. But he kept realizing he couldn't see, so he didn't know where he was. And the instruments kept saying, you're not on the right track. Finally, after some time, he realized he was getting to one of those places where he better make a decision. And he said he looked at the instruments and they were very clearly saying to him, you're on the wrong path, you're going west, you need to go north, and probably now you need to go east, right, to come back to the airport. And he said, I finally said, well, I'll go with the instruments because the instruments never lie. And he did. And he came back to the airport and he landed and he realized that his perception was not the right perception. The instruments never fail. So friends, I invite you, as you think about uh, your own life, your own faith, your own calling, because we're all called, amen? Oh, you're very reluctant today, here we go. You're all called, amen? amen? Not just the pastor, not just the youth pastor, not Clayton over in Deerfield. We're all called to ministry, and God is searching us out. So you can run and hide all you want, but God's going to find you. And sometimes we get on a trail of chaos and uncertainty, and we're convicted that our way is the way, right? But it's God's way. And we'll find ourselves going west when we should be going north. Remember, as God calls you and continues to seek you out, whatever your journey, even if you're resistant, God will continue to seek you. But also remember, helpful lesson, the instruments don't lie. 